I'm Rachel Poli with Ari Meglin, and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. We're on episode 74, and this week's question is, how do you edit your first draft? Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like. So in episode 54 with Kim Golden, we discussed how many rounds of edits a novel may take. And in episode 68, we talked about the different types of editing. So if you haven't listened to either of those episodes, feel free to go back and check check them out because they were really good episodes. And this week we decided we're going to discuss how we personally edit the first draft of our novels. But usually editing the first draft has always been the easiest part for me. I don't really know why, because it's obviously the most that you have to edit. But what I typically do is when I finish the first draft of a novel, I set it aside, usually for about a month which seems like a long time, but I personally find that gives me a long of enough break from those characters and from that plot. I write cozy mysteries, so that can make your head spin a bit. So I feel like a month is a good chunk of time to step away from it. When I I do finally get back to reading that manuscript, um, I don't do any edits on the computer. I print it all out and I set it aside in a file folder and I do that. I do hand edits. I don't really know why, but I feel like this helps me like process my book rather than staring at a screen. I mean, I stare at a screen all day anyway with my work and then, you know, writing other stuff that I find printing it out really helps. And I don't do this for all of my drafts. I do it for a few of the drafts, but uh, for the first draft, I definitely print it out. And that's how I get my start with editing. I'm exactly the same. I, I do take a break. I probably don't take a month's break, um, probably because I'm, I'm, I just get like, oh my God, I've got to start doing it. But I try and take at least a week and I do the same. I print it out and I always try and print it double spaced. And I always get, find a, a colored pen that I can attach to the, the manuscript. So I, when I'm ready to edit, I have a colored pen. I avoid blue and black ink. I like reds and greens, things that really like stand out. Um, and I, I will usually, before I do a developmental edit, I will sometimes just do a quick read through just not to catch anything. Although you can't really stop yourself from like spotting the odd like, Ooh, that's a big error, but it's more just to see how it flows. Um, you know, like if you're reading through the first, uh, just a, a quick read through, you will often get this sort of section where you're thinking, Oh, there's a bit of a jolt where I've switched from point of view or, one chapter didn't have a hook and then we slung straight into another chapter and it, it feels really fragmented. And those will just get like a, um, an asterisk at the top of the page. And that just kind of reminds me to look at the actual flow as well. And that's what I'll do. So I'll do a quick read through of that. And then I will usually give it to my alpha reader before I do a developmental edit. That kind of changes sometimes. It's, I, I will go and think, yeah, I'm gonna do the development. The, I will do the developmental edit first. But recently, especially, I've been getting very overwhelmed with my stories and very like stressed out about them. And I find give, throwing them at him and he going through it first and he can he's, he's really good at, at spotting like huge plot holes and places where I totally forgot to talk about a character from like, you know, like 40 episodes, 40 chapters. So 
he might have a look through first and he doesn't do like a developmental edit he literally just reads through and tells me oh, it's a bit stagnant here or it's a bit clunky or the plot doesn't make any sense but if you were them in the past you know like certain parts of the plot have just been weird to him and he's like circled it going i have no idea what this is about you know you're obviously too much in the writer head you're not thinking of the reader or oh, we have no clue what you're talking about and you didn't explain it by the end so it, it usually goes to him and then it comes back to me and i huff about all these his points because i don't like seeing any of them hate criticism we've talked about this before hate it and then I'll do my developmental edit with his notes in mind and with my little asterisk of this flow is crap. Maybe I should send him my novels. <laughs> and I actually like that you send it to him before you really look at it. But for me, I don't let anyone see my first draft raw. I, I just, I don't like it. I feel like it's not ready for anybody else's eyes. I mean, it's, never ready for anybody else's eyes to be honest but even even my sister every once in a while I'll send her a chapter here and there and just ask her to like look it over or something but for the most part that first draft that's all mine I don't let anybody else look at it until at least the second draft and which is usually very similar to the first draft to be honest but I try um I think Printing, printing it out definitely does help. And I agree with the colored pens. I do that as well. I do um, a rainbow edit for my developmental edit. And I assign different colors to uh, different aspects such as plot, setting, character development, all that fun stuff. Obviously seeing all the different colors helps me see every little aspect. And then when I go back to retype it on the computer, I can go through each color one by one. And I usually read through each chapter a couple of times. Like you, I'll, I'll do a quick read through just to re-familiarize myself with the content. And then I'll go back again with each color. And it, it sounds like a really tedious process, especially when you're reading the same chapter over and over again, but it helps me. And I think it, it helps keep me organized because otherwise I would just read each chapter and be like, oh, typo. And then I would just move on and I wouldn't even think of anything else. But if I have my blue pen in hand, I know, okay, I really need to focus on the character development, what they're saying, what they're doing, and anything that pertains to the characters. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to be me just reading a book as if I didn't even write it and then be like, oh, who's this writer? They're, they suck. I have to say, I know you've mentioned the Rainbow Edit before, and I have tried it and the the reason I don't use it is because the stupid perfectionist part of my brain gets really angry if I accidentally highlight or mark the wrong color on something. And I always do, usually like halfway through, I will hit something, I'll be like, oh yeah, this should be green. And I'll highlight in yellow because I thought it was green because sometimes my brain plays tricks on me and I pick the wrong things up and I like highlight and then I'll just stir it in and stirring it and yes I could add blue and make it green but then it's a different shade of green and then it just upsets me and then I just have to stop doing it reprint it all again and just stop so because of my stupid brain I, I can't do that I think it's a brilliant idea and I think if you haven't got the the crazy perfectionist like I have definitely go ahead and try the rainbow edit because I've heard a few people say how helpful it is to be able to break down different things and also you see a bigger picture of like wow there's a lot of like plot issues 
or that's like or dialogue issues it's like that's where my weakness is because I'm seeing a lot of errors whereas you know your character development is fine there's hardly any so I think it's a really good idea but that's why I don't do it it's funny that you say that because I've done that you know, a couple of times it's easy, especially since there are so many different colors, there's so many different aspects of the novel you get to look at that I've done that. <laughs> I'm obnoxious. And what I do, if, if I cross something out in the wrong color, or I like write something in that's the wrong color, I take the correct color and I cross it all out. And then I rewrite what I just wrote in the <laughs> new color. <laughs> so, it's like, so instead of just being like, oh, okay, I, you know, this is supposed to be green, but it's red. Oh, well, I'll deal with it. I'm like, no, no, no. I just have to redo my edit. I have to edit my own edits in the correct color. But I haven't done that in a really long time, actually, because I have a post-it note and using each color, like using my green pen, I'll write setting and using my blue pen, I'll write character development. And I use it as a legend. And I also use it as a bookmark too so that when if I stop editing if I edit the first three chapters and then I set it aside for a day I'll put the sticky note on chapter four and I'll have it stick out so that the next time I go back to it I can say oh this is where I left off and the legend is right there so I can refresh myself with the colors and things like that and I try to be consistent with the colors like every time I edit a draft or a different book I try to remember, like, I can remember blue is always character development, green is always setting, red is always plot, and so on and so forth. That's actually a good way of doing it, and I totally agree with those colour choices as well, because there's certain things where you have a colour idea. My partner and I argue about this all the time when we talk about the sciences, like chemistry, physics, and biology. Mm -hmm. Um, He keeps telling me that chemistry is blue and it's like no it's physics that is blue and chemistry is red and biology is green and I don't know why you keep getting this wrong and he really gets upset about it and there's the same with that when you were going characters are this I'm like she better say blue she better say blue (laughs) (laughs) I agree chemistry chemistry is red but biology is blue to me no biology is green because it's light what is wrong with you people Because as you were saying that, I'm sitting here being like, chemistry's red, chemistry is red. And then you said red, and I was like, oh, okay, very good. <laughs> it's when you get some weirdo going, oh, it's orange. And it's like, no. What? What? You're not allowed in this conversation. No. <laughs> anyway, back to the topic at hand. Since I don't do rainbow edits, what I do is I always make sure I print single-sided, mainly because that's what my printer does. But I... I like to use um, questions. So one of the one of the ways I do my edits is as I'm going through, if something jumps out of me or something that needs checking or there's a plot issue or maybe the POV is wrong and it's just feeling a bit crunchy. And I'm thinking, should I be in that person's POV? Because I write multiple main characters. So I often have lots of different POVs. Um, I will write questions. So what I'll do is I'll like put a little like, you know, number one, number two next to something. And then on the back, I will be listing out, you know, does this slow the plot down? Why did this happen? Has this been explained enough? And, and I will end up with double pages because the back of each page will usually have about 30 questions on that help me when I go back to doing the edits because I don't work brilliantly with just like change this. It's like, I always need a question like, 
why is this happening? Because there might actually be a reason further down that I, I forgot because I forget my own work a lot of the time. So questions are a big one with me and I like to put them on the back. It also stops my partner from when he reads through again because he's always asking questions and I'm like, if you just read a bit further, you'd find that answer. Or it'll be something that maybe is coming up in another book. So I'll just put a little thing saying, have I answered this? And sometimes I'll ask a question and he'll come back and go, oh, I was going to ask that. So I'm glad you've thought about it. And sometimes he'll have questions that I didn't think of. And it's like, God damn it, how did I miss that? So, but yeah. That's definitely a good way of doing it too. And I, I typically ask myself questions as well. If there's something that doesn't make sense, I'll, you know, I'll leave a question or sometimes I'll just rewrite it, like right, right on there, which usually makes the page look so messy. But when it comes to asking questions, when I typically write the questions while I'm writing the first draft and I keep a, a big index card or a post-it note or something beside me that when I'm writing, if I don't know if something quite makes sense or if I can't remember if something actually pertains to the plot or something that happened earlier, I will go to my notebook and I will write down the question and I will make a note of what chapter it's in or something. And then usually when I go back and edit, I forget about these questions and I forget that I write them down. So I don't always remember or I'll rewrite the questions as I'm editing it. And then I'll go back to my notebook later and I'll be like, oh, hey, look at that. I already thought of this and it's still not fixed. But the thoughts there. <laughs> And, but I do want to ask you real quick, because you mentioned that when you write the questions, you'll turn the page over and you'll write the questions there. So when you print out your manuscript, is it not double-sided? You print each page individually? Yes. Yes. Oh, may maybe I should start doing that because I double-side mine because I don't want to use up so much paper. So I double side mine, but then I often find myself because I have huge handwriting too. So I often find myself like making edits in the margins and things like that. But then it's just like a huge jumbled mess. And maybe I need to start doing single sided. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, my printer prints single sided. So I'd have to manually be turning the pages around each time. And I can't bother doing that. And also... I, I keep my, I try and keep my text a bit smaller when I'm printing it. And then I don't have big margins, but I do have double-sided. So my notes go either in between the lines for smaller things and anything big, either like you goes on a post-it note or something. I use post-it notes a lot, or it goes on the back or even on sometimes on lined paper. If it's a big note, I'll scribble it on lined paper and then paper clip it to the page. Again, I'll have numbered where it goes and do it that way. Um, which I know I, I appreciate it, it's probably just use a lot more paper and I do feel bad about that, uh, which is why I use recycled paper. So at least it's something, <laughs> but I find, yeah, I think if I put it double-sided, I often find that the, the, the ink can come a bit through too much. And then I'll, I, I kind of catch myself reading the words on the other side. So whereas just a barrow on the back doesn't do that as much because I can read through it and sort of then <laughs> write it on the back. No, that, that totally makes sense. And I agree with that. And I think the next time I print out my manuscript, I will probably do single-sided. I can't do small font though. I never could, even with books, like paperback books, some of them, like a lot of the cozy mystery books, they're, they're tiny paperbacks and the font is so small and I can read it, but it bothers me. I prefer bigger font. I don't know why. 
I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> That's just a personal preference. <laughs> no, I'll say, oh, and just as a point, if you are dyslexic, it is suggested that you print your work on like yellow paper, like a pale yellow paper. That is apparently really good if you're dyslexic, it makes it easier to read. Um, so just for anyone who's dyslexic and wants extra tips, that is another one. And also non-justified. I print all mine justified, but apparently if you print it non-justified, again, it makes it easier to read if you're a dyslexic. Just an extra point. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I hadn't heard of that. And But actually, I am going to bounce off of that. And that's that's a good idea to print it on different colored paper anyway, just for anybody. Because I know we've talked about this in the in previous episodes, but sometimes when I print out my manuscript, I'll change the font size so that it's bigger. Or I'll change, I don't, sometimes I'll change the color, but because I typically use colored pens, I try to keep it all black because otherwise I'll get confused. But sometimes I'll change um, the font style. And that way when you're reading it, it just makes you feel like you're reading something different for some reason. And it kind of tricks your brain into thinking that you're doing something new and something fresh. So that way, if you're sitting down for a long editing session, you can go through a couple of chapters and then the next chapter, it's a brand new font style. So your brain's like, oh, we're doing something new new now. Okay, I'm, I'm refreshed and I'm ready to go. And it doesn't, the editing session doesn't seem to burn out as quickly for me anyway. And that actually might not be a bad idea to print it out on different colored paper because that would be another unique way of rereading your work. Yeah, definitely. And that whole changing the font or changing the size or something, that's apparently really good for catching errors because your brain gets so used to skimming over, you know, Arial 10 or whatever you use over and over again. So if you change it to like Times New Roman 12, it changes it enough that your brain spots errors that you would have masked, that you would have missed over and over again. So that is definitely a good point. I keep forgetting to do that though. I need to try harder to do that. Um, but I want to go back to something you said about how you put, did you say you made notes on note cards, index cards, like questions while you were writing? Yep. I have yep. to admit, I kind of do that. What I do is at the, because I write in scenes, not chapters, and my Scrivener is broken down in scenes. At the end of every scene, I always put a little note section and that will include the POV I, I, that should be in that scene. I started adding that recently because I was crap at flicking between POVs. I put the time of day, the main location, and then notes and questions that come up while I'm writing. I always come up with more afterwards, but I do try and put that. And I would also start to put in um, notes regarding follow-up novels. You're like, oh, this is a foreshadow, or this is a good place for a foreshadow for the next, for the next novel. And it helped to try and tie in ideas that were coming up for book two and three. Because otherwise I can get through the whole novel and then go, oh, shit, I forgot to add this, this and this that is supposed to be useful for book two. And I have to go and wedge them in. So I have changed how I do my notes at the bottom of each scene. But yeah, totally agree with Rachel. Put like either an index card at the bottom of the chapter. And then when you print it off, you've got them at the bottom as well. And then as I'm editing, I can like cross them off when I've actually added the notes in and answered the goddamn questions, which I don't always do. Oh, that's a good idea to have it at the bottom of the page because 
I very much like to have a notebook beside me so I can get like my handwriting fix in, but I can also have everything in one place on the computer. Uh, that's a, I like the idea of having the little questions and notes at the bottom of the page. So that way you can use it as a checklist if you need to. And I, you also reminded me of another point. What I like to do uh, when I edit my first draft is I like to go over any research points. So sometimes when I'm writing the first draft and there's something I need to look up, sometimes I'll do it right then and there, but other times I'll just leave a note for myself to look it up later so that I can continue the writing process. And when I do that, I try to get all my research and fact checking done within the first draft. It's always good to, you know, do it again during your final draft just to make sure that you didn't miss anything. But I like to get it all done in the first draft because in that way, when I edit the second draft and the third draft and so on, I know all of my information is in a row and I won't need to worry about trying to add something in or taking something out that doesn't make sense and so on. So usually when I'm writing the first draft, on that same index card for each chapter, I will write down some research points. Like I'll, you know, look up, I don't, I don't know, how, how long it takes a dead body to smell or something. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> My search history is weird, but. Depends on if it smelled when it was alive. That's true, that's true. What kind of smell is it? Um, oh God. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, when I edit the first draft, I can see that for that particular chapter, I need to do some research. And in a way that helps me take a break with editing too, because sometimes if you're editing so much, you, you start to get tired and you start to miss certain errors and things like that. So if you have, if you do your research during your editing of the first draft, then you can take a break, go back on the computer figure out some things, and then you can go back to editing and say, okay, I can squeeze this information in right here and sprinkle it a little bit over there and so on. But obviously because I write fantasy, there is still research notes, Got you know, even if you write fantasy, you still have research, you have to tell people that. But one of the things I do is I will make a note, I probably mentioned it, of like the location that the scene is set in, especially if it's a a building or you know like a palace or you know a cave whatever some sort of building because I do have a bad habit when I'm writing of skipping over some of the some of the description not because it's boring it can be a little boring but also if I haven't got the place fully fleshed out like in the blessed there is the mountain palace and I have this visual of what it looks like. Obviously it's like carved into the stone, but there's there's other elements in there. It's not just this dark oppressive thing. There's other pieces in there that kind of like make it lighter and make it welcoming and that. Now I have a vague image of how it looks. And for several chapters, we're in the mountain palace. And then there's a few other chapters where characters pop in and out. And I, I haven't got it solidified in my head enough I mark on the bottom of the scene in the mountain palace and that way I will then when I come back to doing the bigger edit and you know adding in those descriptive adding in those descriptions that I missed 
it will make sure I have time to sit down and go, right, what the hell does this palace look like? What does the antechamber look like? What do the suites of bedrooms look like? What does the parapets look like? Does it have parapets? It does. It does have parapets and ramparts. But, you know, like all these areas that the characters are going to be in, because I talk about them in different in different scenes and I, I need to have that written down so that when I get to the next scene, I can go, oh, right, this is what the, you know, suite of bedrooms looks like. And I can remember it and I can add those pieces in so it's consistent. Now, I know some people will have created that first, but I don't like spending all of my time creating like everything. I mean, I do build my world book and I do have my occurrences and transport and I do have things about the locations. But to be honest, things come as you write. So I don't like starting off with everything so rigid, like this is what the palace looks like. It's like, no, I have a very fluid image of the palace and certain rooms and areas are very structured in my head. But there are other areas where I'm not really sure. And then as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, it'll look great if it had a giant fireplace or actually there's a million pillars in the way and it just kind of has this, like it's barely holding up the roof kind of feeling. And they might come while I'm writing it. So then I will go back and I'll fill in the world book for that location. So that when I get to the next scene that mentions it, I have that reference. So I also do that. I think that's a great idea because for me personally, I, I'm terrible at setting the scene. I, I'm not, description is not my strong suit and neither is setting because I have a hard time describing things. And usually during my uh, first draft, pretty much every single chapter, speaking of questions, I ask my, I just write in the margins, where are we? <laughs> because normally my characters are just, they're just standing in a black void, like doing their own little thing. And there's, there's no backdrop, there's nothing. <laughs> so usually that's a huge point that I have to fill in during my first drafts. And I like that you, you bring up a good point that it will develop over time. Like even if you do have a certain idea of where you want them to go, like the, um, like what you just described, but you don't have a clear picture just yet, but then the more you write and the more your characters explore it, you realize, oh, we can have this here and have that and so on and so forth. And something that's always helped me is that I Google floor plans. And I look up houses and apartments and things like that. And I, I find ones that I like and I look at their floor plans and I kind of finagle, oh, like this would be really good for George's apartment or something. And I'll print out the floor plan and that will actually help me describe it in my novel. And I will mark up the floor plan. I'll be like, okay, well, this is George's office right here. This will be his bedroom. This is the kitchen. And that's, that's what helps me. And it's actually funny because I got in the mood to play The Sims fairly recently at the time of recording this episode. And I love building houses in The Sims. And what I did was I built George's house and I, you know, decorated it. And I, you know, I had a grand old time and maybe I'll screenshot it and print that out. And maybe that'll help me as well. I like that. I like the idea of having that little... Because it's, it's nice when you visualize it and then you can physically see it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we love Pinterest. And you go on and you, you kind of Google things and then uh, Google. You go on Pinterest and you search for things 
to the, you know connect to to uh, to what you're looking at and as you say it you're like oh i love the idea of all these like dark vines wrapped around pillars yeah i'm sticking that in and you might not have even thought about that so yeah something like you can actually look at is really is a really good way of doing it i love that <laughs> plus it's fun so <laughs> we are messy with our edits aren't we we are just all over i mean it's more structured than this definitely right yeah <laughs> If you guys couldn't tell, we have no notes for this episode. We were like, yeah, we know how we edit our first draft. We can just talk about it. And we just went all over the place. So with that said, I think it's safe to say that the editing your first draft is probably one of the most important edits you can make. Um, it's, it's helpful if you step back upon finishing the writing process and you know give your brain a, a bit of a break with your novel before you start editing the first draft. And when you do edit it, you know, try to get your research done and really try to look at your strengths and weaknesses, whether you do the rainbow editing method or you just work better with a single colored pen and just go for it. That's fine. Do what you got to do. But make yourself notes for the next edit. Make yourself notes for um, research points and do all that. It's it's helpful to write everything down. It sounds messy and jumbled, but the more you do it, the more you'll stay organized with it. So now it's your turn. How do you edit your first draft? We'd love to chat about it. So tell us your answers in the comments or on Twitter using the hashtag The Merry Writer Podcast. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you want to get some extra content, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Merry Writer Podcast. You can support our show for as little as $1 a month and get extra bonus content. So tune in every Wednesday for a new episode where we ask all the right questions. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Sticky Notes. Our walls are covered. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.